Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 272 being recorded on Thursday, August 19th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, Jason, we had a little bit of a break in there. Um, you had vacation and I got to focus on car washing and uh, it's good to be back together. It is. I, I had a great time, but I did miss you. Oh, uh, I did see that while you were on vacation, your company won a big Walmart deal. Um, so I think they would like for you to go on vacation more often. Yes, uh, that is the general consensus. Um, the I, like I have great empathy for anyone in these spaces where you have these like huge drawn out pitches. But this was like a more than five month pitch and um, not shockingly. It took the the client a little longer to pick a winner than they they promised. So like you were kind of on pins and needles for a long time, and then I went on vacation and uh, we got a good result. So I think all my my coworkers, my, the hundred of my coworkers that were involved in this pitch with me, like are all eager for me to to work even less than I already do. <laughs> um, well, I heard it was because Doug McMillan listens to the podcast. Yeah, uh, amongst others. So shout out to, to uh, all of our, our listeners from Walmart. Thank you so much for putting your your trust in me. And all the mean things that get said about you on the podcast all come from Scott. Please remember that. Absolutely. Uh, no, I love Walmart. Uh, I probably spend more time in a Walmart than you do. Uh, that is debatable, but I do know that you are a, a legitimate Walmart shopper and and you have an awesome use case for Walmart. Uh, which one are you referring to? Uh, I feel like Walmart is your go-to for hard-to-find Star Wars collectible toys. That is true. I've spent many a midnight at a Walmart waiting for the the pegs, the toys to be hanging from the pegs. And it's just the best time to be at Walmart. It's the best people people watching that 12 to 3 a.m. period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there are some interesting shifts that go on at a, at a Walmart store. <laughs> Especially the 24-hour uh, ones. And then I'm super jealous because on your vacation, you got to go to Galaxy's Edge before me. Um, and that is for the non-Star Wars fan folks in the audience. Uh, that is the new Star Wars attraction at both the California and Florida Disney parks. Exactly. I, and it was awesome. We went to California Disneyland. Um uh, as many listeners will know, I'm a dad in the body of a granddad. So I, I have a, a almost six-year-old son. So we took him to Disneyland for the first time. And uh, generally, my my advanced age is a disadvantage. But in this one case, it was an advantage because I had a much better excuse than you do to take time off from work and go to Galaxy's Edge. Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm bummed. Uh, was it fun? How would you rate it? I highly recommend it. I mean, uh, yes, the whole trip was fun. Uh, Galaxy's Edge uh, lived up to my expectations. And there's 
there's kind of two what in the old days we would have called e-ticket rides in Galaxy's Edge. Uh, a smuggler's Run on the Millennium Falcon and this much more extravagant ride called um, Rise of the Resistance. And they were both awesome. I would say Rise of the Resistance is the best ride I've ever been at at an amusement park. So, so totally cool, totally worth it. And you for sure have to go. And I'll go with you when you're ready. All right. Strong words. We're, we're going. We'll take, we'll take all the listeners. We'll take uh, your mom and, uh, and you know, uh, some of the other folks with us. I, I'm sure a lot of listeners would love to go. The one that wouldn't would be my mom because my six-year-old dragged her on every roller coaster at Disneyland and he had a blast, but she was like white knuckled the entire time. <laughs> uh, okay. So she's, she's already checked the box. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're not a big enough draw. Only, only the grandson is a big enough draw to get her back. Well, I'm glad you had an awesome vacation. And the last time we recorded a podcast was one of my favorite days, which is Amazon earnings. And today is one of your favorite days of the year. This is when the U.S. Department of Commerce, who sidebar has been on the podcast, uh, they drop a big uh, load of data. Um, What did you discover in the data? Yeah. So just side note, I just to be jealous of my my month, Disneyland uh, got got invited to keep working with my my favorite client for for the foreseeable future and i got quarterly e-commerce data from the u.s department of commerce so that's what i call winning um but yeah let's jump into it uh so we're recording this on a thursday on tuesday the u.s department of commerce released their monthly retail sales data so super brief primer recap um they publish data every month for the previous month. And that's called the advanced retail monthly data. It's kind of a quick look at uh, the the month that was 15 days prior. And then they publish a, um, a more comprehensive set of data for uh, two months back, which would be like 45 days prior. So, so that's the data that we got on Tuesday. And of course, we're all pretty interested in what July looked like because there was this whole kind of COVID recovery and people rushing back to stores and the pivot from online back to stores. And then there, you know, have been a lot of like negative news and rebounds because of um, Delta. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting to see, see how the, the data swung. Um, And so in general, uh, if you were someone that looked at month over month retail sales, uh, it, it was a Debbie Downer month. So July was about 1% lower than June. Um, but as I have counseled many times on this show, that's not a very important number to look at. What we really want to look at is July 2021 against July uh, 2020. So so uh, year prior data. And um, retail sales for, for this July were 13.3% higher than last July. Um, so ordinarily that would be, um, cause for a party. That's a huge growth. Like ordinarily we see like kind of four to, you know, three to 4% growth year over year in, in total retail sales. So 13% is huge, but of course last July was still pretty impacted by, by COVID. So we have this weird basis. Um, and as we'll talk about later, that's why most retailers are talking about year over two years at this point. But so, First data point, uh, July was a good month. It was up 13% from the previous July. Um, we, I also like to look at year-to-date sales. So I add up all the months, and um, 
January through July of this year is up 21% versus January through July of last year, um, which is also very healthy. And again, half of that period would have been pre-COVID versus uh, uh, last year. So that's that's encouraging. And then there there isn't a an awesome measurement of e-commerce in the monthly data, uh, especially the advanced monthly data. But there is this thing called non-store sales, which is kind of the closest proxy we have to e-commerce. Um, and that's where things got interesting. Uh, it was about 5.9% up from last year. So way slower growth than you would normally expect for e-commerce. So you'd normally expect retail to grow about 4% and e-commerce to grow 12 to 15%. So so retail growing 13% is unusually fast and and e-commerce growing 6% is unusually slow. But again, if you think about the fact that last July a lot less people were going to stores and instead spending online, it kind of it kind of fits. Um so I would from my perspective um there was not there was nothing like super anomalous in this data. It's kind of where we would have expected it to be. Um, and then I like to dive into the categories and see if there's anything important in the categories. And again, the categories are kind of where you would expect. Um, by far the category that's most up this year versus last year on a on monthly basis and a year-to-date basis is apparel. So uh the apparel industry is like 63% better this year than it was last year because they were just absolutely creamed by by COVID last year. Uh, restaurants and bars are up 30% over last year. Um, but then there's some, some categories that actually did well in COVID but are still pretty significantly up. So things like um, furniture and home, uh, sporting goods, uh, those uh, and uh, consumer electronics are all up significantly even though they they generally got a COVID boost, so um, that that is uh, pretty interesting. And then the the thing that I most look at specifically related to COVID is in COVID, everyone bought all their food from grocery stores instead of restaurants. So restaurants got creamed, grocery stores did really well, and so we've been watching to see if that goes back to pre-COVID levels um, and. It it's getting awfully close. So, you know, in uh, March of last year, 70% of the calories got sold by grocery stores, 30% by restaurants. And that's a, that's a, that meant $60 billion a month in sales that used to go to restaurants were going to grocery stores. So that's huge. Um, and in uh, July, that gap, it, it became kind of, um, 52 versus 48 percent. So only a four percent delta and pre-COVID it was 50-50. Um, so that's that's about four and a half or five billion dollars a month uh, that that grocery stores still winning that they didn't win before COVID. Um, but not surprisingly, um, like people were eager to go back to restaurants and they are going back to restaurants. And um, that's one of several indications we've seen that while digital grocery grew a lot during COVID and it's going to keep some of those gains. It, it does not appear it's keeping all of those gains and we are seeing some backslide and we're, we're seeing that in things like, like uh, Instacart sales as well. Yeah. There's been uh, wasn't there a uh, rumor that Instacart was looking to be acquired? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few things out there. Um, there is a rumor that Instacart was, t- is talking to DoorDash 
Um, and then uh, super interesting this week, and I'll put a, a, a link to it in the show notes, um, former guest and friend of the show, Dan McCarthy, who you remember is the, the professor at Emory that uh, specializes in, in customer lifetime value and cohort analysis. Um, mm-hmm. He got a big uh, set of um, credit card panel data from Ernst uh, Research, and he was able to use it to kind of back into the GMV, which in the restaurant business or the uh, grocery business, they, they actually would call GOV, gross order value. Um, and he was able to kind of figure out the size and stickiness of DoorDash and Instacart. Um, and what he found was uh, Instacart got a bigger COVID bump than DoorDash, but that DoorDash is much stickier and, and has a much higher rate of repeat customers than Instacart. Um, in fact, about 30% of, he found that about 30% of uh, uh, DoorDash uh, shoppers repeat and only about 20% of Instacart shoppers repeat. And that, that difference is, is very meaningful in the financial outcomes for those two companies. And he kind of estimated that uh, Instacart's GOV is probably around $23 billion on an annualized run rate. So um, he kind of looked at it and said, hey, uh, Instacart does appear to have significant weakness versus DoorDash and and so it kind of lends some credence and some tangibleness to the the rumor that you know Instacart might be on a COVID peak and trying to sell at its at its high. Um, we've also heard just some rumors that they're you know struggling to retain some of their their customer sellers and and uh, um, some things like that. So so it it's going to be an interesting space to follow. Oh, any other surprises from the data? Uh, nothing wildly surprising, uh, in, uh, later in this podcast, we're going to talk about earnings and we're going to talk about Home Depot and Lowe's reported. And so, um, sort of a preview, I would say like, um, the do it yourself category was a category, um, that did really well in, in COVID. Um, and so you, uh, you know, it's interesting to see like if that sticky, if, have, you know, as people are starting to go out more, are they are they stopping the investment in their home and um, or are they reinvesting in their home this year? Is that a new habit? So um, I, I've been watching the the do it yourself space and it had modest growth um, from last year. So I want to uh, from memory, I want to say uh, it was about 18 percent up from last year. And last year was a very high year. So that that's interesting. Um and I, I won't spoil it, but it's going to be that number will be even more interesting when we talk about how Lowe's and Home Depot did. Well, let's jump into it. OK, uh, so the next thing I wanted to talk about is so I mentioned that this monthly data doesn't have awesome e-commerce data in it. Um, the U.S. Department of Commerce publishes much better e-commerce data, but they only publish it quarterly. And that's why this week is so fun is because this is one of those quarter months when they publish both the monthly data and the quarterly data. So we just today got the um, Q2 e-commerce data from the U.S. Department of Commerce. Um, and the top line here is... Q2 2021 grew about 28% from Q2 2020 in e-commerce. I'm sorry, retail. So that's all of retail, which like that's way higher growth than you would normally see. And e-commerce growth was 9% for that period. So lower 
than you would normally expect to see, right? And again, that mm-hmm. kind of follows the the trend here. E-commerce was artificially high last year. And so, you know, even though it's growing, um, it's it's growing against a bigger base. And so the growth this year does not look as big. Um, so a lot of people are, you know, trying to talk about growth on a two-year stack. Um, but that 9% growth becomes super interesting when you think back to Amazon, you know, Amazon got beat up because their rate of growth slowed a lot. They they were down to 22%. Um, but 22% still means you're more than growing more than twice as fast as the industry average. Um, and uh, as we're going to see later, like much faster than most of their competitors. So, so um, that, that is pretty interesting. And then uh, a ton of news then writes like e-commerce is down because 9% is lower than we would usually expect. But I just want to remind people that down doesn't mean what you think it means. Like, like we sold more stuff online in Q2 of this year than we did Q2 of last year. And Q2 of last year was amazing. It's just the rate of growth is slowing down. Got it. This is where I always get confused because the headlines that came across my CNBC trackers were retail sales were down 1.1% and worse than expected. Yeah. So that was... So how do I reconcile that with yeah. 28%? Yeah. Well, so the 1% is monthly and it was... That mean, that was down that's month over month, month. So that's June to July. Um, okay. So uh, July to July monthly, uh, going back, the retail sales were actually up by uh, 13%, which is much more healthy. And Q2 uh, versus last Q2, retail sales are up, uh, what did I just say? 20, that's the 28%. Point two, yeah. But uh, okay, but then the month on month is interesting because why do you, you know, if we're still coming out of COVID, you would expect it to be kind of climbing up, even we're, you know, yeah. But if we were all, heading into like, the fall. So or what you have to remember about re- consumer spending patterns and retail is there. It's all heavily driven by these purchase occasions, and there's a bunch of purchase occasions that are tied to dates, and so the spending patterns you'd expect to see in. July are different than the spending patterns you'd expect to see in June. So there's, there's more people spending on summer activities in June than July. And there's more people starting to spend on back to school in July than in June. And so there are all these factors that make it really hard to like compare month over month, unless you, you do some like heavy seasonal adjustment gymnastics. And even that tends to not work because some of these these purchase occasions shift from month to month, from year to year. So, sorry, it's complicated. Interesting. Okay, got it. Dads and grads, we'll uh, scrap it up to dads and grads being in June. Yeah, but so I mean, my biggest takeaway is like as a retail, I guarantee you, every uh, like retail team I work with care a lot more about their their sales basis from last year uh, than they do their sales basis from last month. Um, now the, the miss versus analyst expectations, that's a separate story. And some, you know, obviously, as you know, like investors tend to get squeamish when the, when the retailers miss the analyst expectations, but it's super hard to predict analysts. Uh, it's, it's a tough job for the analysts right now, given all the, the uncertainty around health and COVID. And we simultaneously have States where, they're throwing parades because COVID's over and people are opening up. And then we have states where they're reinstituting mass mandates. So it's, it's, it's like high degree of uncertainty at the moment. 
Got it. Um, so in that climate, some poor companies had to report their earnings and face investors. Um, and so this was to me a fun week for earnings calls. Uh, Walmart reported their, their Q2 earnings. Target reported their Q2 earnings. Lowe's and Home Depot reported their Q2 earnings. And then TJ Maxx reported their Q2 earnings. So it's a pretty fun week in retail earnings. Um, and, uh, Again, I tend to focus more on the operational metrics and less on the investor metrics. So, you know, there were some beats and some misses in there um, that impacted stock performance. Uh, and I, I don't pay that much attention to those. Um, but uh, as a reminder, because uh, Amazon reported a couple months ago and we, we did a whole sh- or a couple weeks ago and we did a whole show about it. Um, Amazon is predominantly e-commerce and Amazon's Q2 was up 22% from... Q2 of last year. So, so that's put that data point in your head and then you go, okay, um, home, uh, Walmart and target. How did you guys do? Target was up 8.9%, um, which was a beat. And, uh, uh, Walmart was up 5.2%, which I want to say was a, a meat if I'm, if I'm remembering right. So, so both those retailers did pretty well. They, sold a ton of stuff last year during COVID and they sold significantly more this year um, with less of a COVID impact and less of an economic stimulus impact. And so um, that, that was pretty encouraging. Both retailers threw out cautions about their performance the rest of this year. And so both retailers, I think uh, had some negative movement in their stock based on their, um, on their like forward-looking expectations, but not based on their performance. Um, so, so again, Amazon at twenty-two percent, Target at nine percent, we'll call it, and Walmart at five percent. Um, that's their total sales. E-commerce was a, a much more interesting story. Uh, Target's e-commerce grew ten percent, and Walmart's e-commerce grew three percent, and those numbers are tiny by historical standards, right? So Amazon is all e-commerce. So they their 22% growth means their e-commerce grew 22%. So, so Amazon's e-commerce grew more than twice as fast as Target and more than four times as fast or about four times as fast as Walmart. Um, so that, that makes Amazon's performance look even more impressive. If you think about Target, like last year, they grew 195%. <laughs> Um, so, so again, like really sucky to comp against that, that huge, huge peak. And last year, uh, Walmart grew a hundred percent. So they're comping against a huge peak. So the, the story of Q2 for all these retailers is going to be, um, you know, how, how do they hold on in their total retail sales? Can they kind of beat the industry average? And then, um, you know, where, where do they fall on e-commerce and, and candidly like target Walmart and Amazon kind of don't surprise me. What surprised me was Lowe's and Home Depot. Um, so remember I told you earlier that, uh, um, the do it yourself category is, uh, according to the U S department of commerce is performing reasonably well. It's like up like 18%. Um, so, uh, Home Depot uh, retail sales for the quarter were only up 3.4%, and Lowe's sales were down 
So it's kind of hard to reconcile that in my head. Like there, there are many other do-it-yourself retailers besides Lowe's and Home Depot. Um, but I almost think this is like highlighting a problem in the U.S. Department of Commerce categorization because it just, I, I can't put together a model where Home Depot only grew by 3.4%, 3 where Lowe's went backwards 2.2%, and yet the whole do-it-yourself category went forward 18%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that being said, uh, Home Depot's e-commerce and super cheesy how they report this, like they Home Depot totally tried to bury this, but Home Depot's uh, e-commerce growth was flat. They they did not grow from last quarter uh, from this quarter last year. Um, again, off a big basis, they grew 100 percent last year. And then Lowe's grew 7 percent, um, which, you know, again, that. That's actually better growth than Walmart. Um, and Lowe's also had a big basis. They had 135%. So uh, on an e-commerce standpoint, you'd say like Lowe's actually kind of outperformed in e-commerce. But then the bad news for Lowe's is they way underperformed in, in terms of a, a brick and mortar thing, which is, of course, much more meaningful to them. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of the the monthly earnings. So um, that I, you know, I, I think that is a trend. Uh the other thing that came out in these earnings calls is both Walmart and Target talked about how last year retail traffic was way down, but ticket size was way up. People came to the store less and they bought more in each trip. Um, almost all the retail growth we saw this quarter was from increased trip frequency. So it, it, it was almost all tied to more people walking into Targets and Walmart. Like there's probably pent up demand to go shopping from people that were we're doing more of their spending online. So this is kind of all of these data points are converging to say that um, people are, are had kind of online fatigue and we're happy to go back to stores. And we're, we're seeing that in the industry data. We're seeing that in the earnings data. Um, and, you know, it's going to be really interesting to look at Q3 because it's, it's not clear that that trend is going to continue based on some of the, the uh, health news and, and, um, uh, state restrictions that are getting imposed and certainly based on some of the international news. Yeah. And it was this time last year when we, we kind of coined the ship again. Um, I wonder if we're teeing up for even kind of a tougher holiday. Um, yeah. This, this may be kind of teased out of the data a little bit. Um, like maybe, you know, maybe Lowe's was down because of supply chain issues. Uh, you know, they just couldn't stock the stores. I, I don't know. Um, that, that that's one way to explain kind of why one retailer would be doing bad, but the category did, did better. Um, and yeah, so, you know, the supply chains are all jammed up. There's uh, just, you know, all the way from manufacturing to, you know, I hear stories of you can't get room on boats uh, and certainly planes. And then when it gets here, you can't get it off the dock because there's not enough trucks. Um, and then, you know, uh, I'm living the the nightmarish scenario where you can't buy vehicles. Um, and I have a business built on uh, being, you know, buying vehicles. <laughs> so, you know, there's, you know, the whole system is going to need to add capacity for delivering more. And there's literally no vehicles to be had due to this chip shortage. So it's going to be really interesting next four months to see how this plays out. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. I'm super concerned about holiday. Um, no, the inventory levels like wouldn't really show up in the, the kind of reported earnings, like where it would come up in is the transcript of the investor calls. 
And I'll yeah. confess, I didn't listen live to, I did listen to Walmart and, and Target. I didn't listen live to Home Depot or Lowe's. I kind of skimmed the transcript. So I, I can't, I don't, I did not see them calling out um, supply chain as a reason for this quarter's performance. Um, it definitely was called out as a risk factor for their, their future performance. And what was a little interesting is um, Walmart and Target both went to great lengths to express that they felt like they were going to be in a good inventory position for holiday. Um, And I say that because none of us are expecting them to be in a great inventory position for holiday. So they're they're trying to push back that narrative. And it like obviously those are two of the biggest retailers that have a lot of leverage over the supply chain. So it's like. You know, if anyone can buy inventory, it's going to be them. And they're saying they've invested early and they they think they they've got the inventory they need for holiday locked up. Um, But your points are all super valid. Like every step in the supply chain is more expensive and more fragile right now. And the one that you didn't mention is it's also just harder globally to get stuff made. And, you know, if you look at the global like flow of COVID, there's really only one econ- economy that completely recovered and got 100% of their retail foot traffic back, for example, and that was China. Um, and guess what? China is like in the throes of a Delta pandemic and foot traffic to retail is way down. Like they, they've they had a backslide um, and that has impacted factory production and productivity um, and, you know, you mentioned one tangible way that's playing out is these chip shortages, but like there's a bunch of them. Um, and then we also have this global labor shortage and uh, a place where it's been particularly hard to hire people is in warehouses and factories. And so like here in the United States, we've got like a bunch of labor shortages. We've got uh, a bunch of labor disputes. I want to say uh, Mondelez has like three big factories under strike. So uh, Santa may not be able to get Oreos this Christmas. Like there's um, a lot of those things playing out right now. So I would say that Walmart and Target may have locked up enough inventory, but there's severe uncertainty about the holiday. And I, I think everything we talked about for ship again in last year is going to be worse this year. Um, FedEx and, and uh, um, UPS have both announced their surcharges for holiday and they've already informed most of their customers of what they're, their holiday quotas will be. So that's going to for sure come into play. The U S post office, which historically has not had surcharges is adding surcharges this year. So um, lots of stuff going down. And again, I'll be shocked if Amazon has as much capacity as they want, but you know, uh, Amazon unique amongst all these retailers owns a lot of their own capacity. And in fact, their huge Amazon air hub in Cincinnati just went online. So CVG. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you can get stuff, it's just more expensive. Like I, I, I want to say that like average price of a container was $6,000 last year and it's $22,000 right now. So yeah, I've heard Amazon sellers say 40,000. Huh, yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. Crazy. I think, yeah, it depends on what you, you know, but um, yeah. And so uh, again, I've seen like retailers buy part of a port in Canada. I want to say um, Canadian Tire, but like literally bought a shipping port. Um, uh, you know, we've seen lots of uh, retailers, including Home Depot, buy their own uh, uh, container freighters. Like, like we're seeing all kinds of crazy 
um, reaches up into the supply chain to try to protect capacity. So it's 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 definitely going to be interesting. Well, we will keep listeners posted. Well, this is the place to go to where we're, we're we called it last year early, and we're going to keep tracking it and calling it early this year. For sure. Yeah. And then uh, since we're doing a news episode, it wouldn't be a Jason and the Scott show without a little Amazon news. Your margin is their opportunity. That's right. Amazon news. Um, Jason, I saw this one got your dander up a little bit on on the the Twitter. Uh, there was a New York Times article where they talked about how Amazon is now officially 100% without any argument bigger than Walmart. Um, and in the article, what they do is they uh, use a third-party source for GMV data, which I actually appreciate this because for a very long time, um, I was you know trying to help educate people that that you can't just look at Amazon revenue numbers that their impact is bigger because there's this kind of iceberg beneath the surface of of GMV that matters because if someone buys something from a third party seller for $100 other retailers lost $100 they didn't lose the uh, around $10 commission that Amazon shows as revenue um so I thought this was pretty interesting. And, and when you, you gross up, now the number they used was pretty aggressive. I don't know who this, this source was. Um, I don't have a subscription, but uh, you know, it seemed a little aggressive and, and the lines are definitely going to cross. Uh, I thought maybe they had pulled it in a year or two. Um, what were, I know this kind of got you a little agitated. What did you think about this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, it's super interesting. And it's a great article. It's, it prompted a lot of conversation. I am mildly annoyed. Um, so first of all, the I have seen as a result of this, this article got written in the New York Times. Um, and it's, it's a very accurate article. Um, but it then got echoed by hundreds of other publications, and it got progressively worse. So A, I thought that would warm your heart is a ton of these articles go to great lengths to explain why revenue isn't a valid way to compare these retailers and what GMV is. And it's like they they all you know have discovered this year what you've been been teaching all of us for for probably 10 years now at this point. Um, we're old. Uh, but so that was kind of fun. So the New York Times article, the headline first of all was people now spend more at Amazon than at Walmart. And then the subtitle is, uh, the biggest e-commerce company outside of China has unseated the biggest brick and mortar seller. Um, and so what this article is saying is they're, they're using a GMV estimate from a, a data company that sells data to uh, uh, investors. So it's a Wall Street analyst firm called FactSet. And FactSet said uh, Walmart's... Um, uh, Pre, uh, trailing 12 month GMV um, was 500 global GMV was $566 billion and Amazon's 12 month uh, GMV was $610 billion. So for the first time, Amazon's global GMV is higher than Walmart's. And so Amazon has finally passed, passed uh, Walmart. And uh, um, you know, we've hit this big milestone that everyone should be talking about. Right. Like, so that was their article. And, Nothing in it's wrong. I would argue that the fact set data tends to be on the aggressive side, um, but maybe aggressive for both. And 
FactSet is not estimating GMV for Walmart, just so you know. Like they're using revenue for Walmart um, and they're using GMV for Amazon. And as you know, Walmart now has a meaningful marketplace. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think they've disclosed what the, the ratio of 1P to 3P is, but Walmart has said they're going to sell $75 billion online this year. Um, so, the, you know, the, their GMV is likely significantly larger than their revenue. Um, but the biggest reason this isn't an apples to apples comparison is these two com- companies don't sell in the same countries, right? So Amazon's in many more countries than Walmart. So, you know, they're in continents that, that Walmart isn't in. And, um, the, their, um, India is a quite large market. Both of these companies are significant players in India. The, um, Amazon includes India sales in their GM. In, in the facts at GMV, there the facts at GMV includes Amazon, uh, India for Amazon. Um, Walmart revenue does not include any India sales because Walmart owns a minority, uh, majority interest in Flipkart. Um, but that's, that's really the way Amazon does business in India as well. Like if you were doing apples to apples, I would argue that it's probably true that Walmart is still slightly bigger than Amazon if you, if you, put India back into these numbers and, and do a GMV estimate for Walmart instead. But I, I don't even really care about that. What's annoying is everyone that read the New York times article, then wrote a new article saying Amazon's the biggest retailer in the world. And that's wildly untrue because (laughs) Alibaba's GMV is bigger is, is like 1.3 trillion. Right. So it's bigger than Walmart plus Amazon's estimate in these articles. And that's why the New York Times had to write the most awkward headline ever that's like outside of China. Even the, and you go, well, why are they saying outside of China when both Walmart and Amazon are competing in China? Well, it's because they don't want to talk about the fact that they're both way smaller than Alibaba. Um, and so, so again, like I, I just, I kind of don't think this is a very big milestone. I think Amazon spends more time and effort trying to sell more stuff in the U S than anywhere else. And Walmart spends more time and effort trying to sell in the U S than anywhere else. It's the home market for both countries, for companies. It's highly likely that Amazon is going to pass Walmart for sales in the U S in the near future. I don't think they have yet. And when they do, that will be a big milestone. That will be like when Walmart passed Sears for sales in like 1990. Um, But to me, that's the big milestone that this, this kind of um, facts that data thing that that uh, New York Times is trying to spin, and then you know everyone else misreported. Like to me, it's it's uh, not that interesting, and so I'm kind of annoyed how much buzz it's gotten. But I just blew it and gave it a bunch more buzz on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, another one. Um, Amazon. This was uh, kind of the big big topic today. Um, there was a, a a leak or someone uh, figured out that Amazon is going to open a department store. Um, how do you feel about Amazon department stores? I feel like they're going to have put Target out of business in six months. Yeah. I just sold all my Target stock. It's, uh, it's over. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is interesting news. Um, the I would say it's very vague news at this point. Like, I don't think it surprises anyone that Amazon is interested in and is probably moving forward with trying a bunch of different retail formats. I do think Amazon realizes that that um, brick and mortar is important. Um, I don't think they think of themselves as purely an online 
retailer, and they've been investing a bunch in brick and mortar. And a category they want to do better in is apparel, and they have been making a lot of progress in apparel. So it's not shocking that they would be trying to experiment with some apparel formats. Um, so, so this news is kind of exciting. I'd be eager to see what they what stores they do open, and I'm I'll, I'll you know quickly go visit them when they do to see what see what they're trying. Um, but from this article, it's hard to know exactly what they're talking about. So the, the, the leases that the, that the reporter found, and this is a, an exclusive article from Wall Street Journal, um, the leases they found were for 30,000 square foot stores. So the first thing is, again, everyone's saying like Amazon's getting into the department store business. Um, there are almost no 30,000 square foot department stores. Most department stores are much bigger than 30,000 square feet for whatever it's worth. Um, the, the article says that apparel is one of the categories that's likely in this new store, um, from anonymous sources that talk to them. So does that mean it's primarily an apparel store? So that would make it like a Kohl's or a TJ Maxx size store. And that could be interesting and meaningful, or does it mean it's a general merchandise store that has some apparel and also has a full grocery store? Cause there's a lot of 20,000, 25,000 square foot grocery stores, um, so 30,000 square feet isn't that much different than the, the bigger store formats we've already seen Amazon starting to experiment with. So I, I guess I'm just saying any brick and mortar news from Amazon is interesting. I'll be super, uh, eager to follow it, but there, there was nothing to me in this announcement that goes, man, my mind's blown. Uh, this is a major game changer or some, some new industry that wasn't worried about Amazon last week should be super worried about them this week. Like I think all those industries should have already been worried. Yeah. And a lot of people I saw commenting were saying um, they're abandoning the bookstore. This means the four star store doesn't work. Um, they're getting rid of uh, just JWAT uh, technology, the Amazon Go stores. And I think people just kind of, you know, Amazon's, at the heart of their DNA is to experiment with stuff. Doesn't just because they're experimenting with something doesn't mean the other things failed. It, they can run, they have the resources to run 300 experiments, you know, retail store experiments simultaneously if they want to. And it, you, you can't really read that kind of stuff into them. I think that's really jumping the gun. No, I would hundred percent agree with that. And again, it's, it's built right into their leadership principles, like small autonomous teams. Right. So it's not like it's one big entity and they can only do one thing at a time. They've got, you know, a ton of entities that are doing a ton of things at a time. So I, I yeah, they purposely don't talk to each other because yeah. it just slow them down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so excited to see them doing new things. Uh, I do think when they open new store formats, they tend to be more innovative than, than traditional retailers that are opening new formats. So I, I hope they open them and I will be there when they do. Cool. And then uh, while we were on the podcast, uh, Tesla announced they have a new robot. So we'll have to, we'll have to, uh, uh, you'll have to order one of those and then give us a gadget uh, unboxing kind of walkthrough of how that goes. I feel like you are higher on the Tesla waiting list than I am. So we may have to leverage your status, but I'm all for doing a robot deep dive at our earliest convenience. Yeah. Humanoid robots kind of freak me out. So I think I'll use my status to send it to your house and we'll, we'll see if it uh, skynets you or not. Yeah. Isn't, is there another Terminator movie coming out? I think there is. Oh, there's always another Terminator movie coming out sometime. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
awesome. Well, listen, we uh, set a goal for ourselves to do a shorter, concise show. And I, I said, I think we can knock this out in 30 minutes. So uh, I totally blew that. Uh, this feels like about 45 minutes, but uh, hopefully it was valuable to listeners. If it was, we sure would appreciate that five-star review on iTunes. Um, if uh, you have any questions or we got anything wrong in the show you want to talk about, uh, we would encourage you to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, I like to think we gave everyone 50% more for their money today. So you're welcome. Yeah, and you and I earned 50% less. What's 50% of zero? Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 